There we go. Uh, welcome to RUF, uh, Reformed University Fellowship. Uh, we're very happy that you're here. My name is Chris, uh, as you might know, and I'm the campus minister. I would love to get to know you if you would uh, like to. I would love to get involved in your life and get to know you a little bit more, especially if you're going to be on fall conference this weekend. I will be there. Our interns will be there. Janae will be there. And, uh, and um, my, family, my family will also be there. So if you're looking for an opportunity to get to know my wife, she will also uh, be there. Um, we're happy that you're here tonight. Regardless of your religious or non-religious convictions, this is a welcome place for you to process what the Bible says. Tonight, we're going to be looking in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, which should be, I think, eventually on there. Thank you, Carter. Um, so we're, we're, in, we're in Matthew 16 tonight. And uh, if you were to ask me what my favorite NASCAR-themed uh, Will Ferrell film is... Uh, <laughs> It would be tough, but I'd have to go with Talladega Nights. And uh, Talladega Nights is a hilarious movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, but maybe if you have seen it, you remember the scene uh, where Ricky Bobby, uh, you know, the NASCAR champion, is sitting down for supper at his family's house, and he's there with his smoking hot wife, you know, and his kids, Walker and Texas Ranger, and, uh, and his racing partner, Cal Naughton Jr., and Ricky's saying grace, right? And you remember he keeps addressing his prayer to baby Jesus, and he's saying, oh, precious eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, would you bless this food? And uh, his wife gets real mad, because she's like, Jesus was a man. And, uh, you know, Ricky says, um, he says, I prefer the Christmas Jesus. Uh, When you say grace, you can pray to grown-up Jesus, or teenage Jesus, or bearded Jesus, or whatever Jesus you want. And then Cal Naughton, his partner, says, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. Because it says, I can be formal, but I'm also here to party. (laughs) And this is the key point. I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Uh, You may know, since you are on the college campus, uh, that there are all kinds of perspectives out there in the world about who this Jesus is, right? He's kind of a big deal. Uh, And it seems like every year there's at least one or two books on the bestseller list all talking to reveal the true identity, the real Jesus. There's, a, there's one uh, out now called Zealot, which has been uh, sort of a number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, maybe you've gone to class and your professor has said, you know, Jesus isn't the, isn't the person that you learned about in Sunday school. Uh, and maybe that's part of the reason why you're here tonight, right? You're like, well, I know this Jesus is important, but I don't really know who this guy is. And there's all these uh, conflicting accounts of who this Jesus is. But the more that you observe all this back and forth about Jesus is really a radical, he's really a revolutionary, no, he's really conservative, no, he's a liberal, no, he's a, he's a Democrat, no, he's a Republican, no, he's a feminist, no, he's a, he's a misogynist, right? Uh, the more that you hear all these conflicting accounts, it starts to sound just like a lot of Cal Naughton Jr. You know, I like my Jesus, to, I, I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. Uh, whatever I like, Jesus likes. Whatever my cause is, that's Jesus' cause, too. And uh, this semester, we've been looking at questions God asks in the Bible. And uh, this, this is kind of how weird that is, that God is asking questions, and why is he doing this? And tonight, Jesus, in, the, in Matthew's Gospel, is asking his disciples questions about his identity. He's saying, who do you say that I am? So uh, as, we, as we look at this, this question of who is Jesus, there's a lot of answers out there. But let's look at what Jesus has to say uh, in Matthew. 
chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Uh, Listen, this is the word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, are very aware that... uh, We need you to reveal yourself to us. Uh, Your word has been read. You can use it. Lord, would you bless the teaching of it? Uh, Lord, would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hard hearts? Would you unstop our ears? That we might behold wonderful things about you from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You know, it's the case that every generation thinks that they are just totally unique, right? Right? Uh, and that's not usually the case. Everyone thinks, you know, things are so different now than they ever have been. And people might freak out because of that. Uh, and we th- might think, we might be tempted to think that, you know, it's hard for us to know who Jesus is. But people in the past had a much better idea, right? We're separated by thousands of years. But I bet people that lived with Jesus actually had a much better understanding. And I'm not, I'm not really sure how, we, how well we can really know this person. But as we, look, as we see in the passage, uh, that's not true. People in Jesus' own day struggled to understand exactly who he was, right? There was all these different answers, and there was lots of confusion. Uh, so before we go on thinking that you know, they probably understood better than us, can we just, before we start, recognize that we have the same knowing problem that they did? Uh, there was a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was then, And his disciples needed him to reveal himself to them. And even now, we need desperately Jesus to be here with us to reveal himself to us. Because notice at the end of the passage when he says, Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Uh, We need God to come in and to show us who he is. Because there is a one right answer about who this Jesus is. There's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of speculation, but there is a right answer. Uh, It is not our job to be Jesus' biographers, right? Like Jesus is this dead person that lived 2,000 years ago, and now it's our job to determine his place in history, or what his role was, or what his true personality was. Because Jesus isn't dead. I don't think you would like anyone telling you exactly who you are for you when you could actually respond, right? Jesus isn't dead. He's very much alive, and he's very much revealing himself to us still today. And since Jesus is alive, and since there is a real answer about who Jesus really is, we don't get to decide. We don't get to make it up. Uh, Recently, I read an article, and uh, this guy was talking about how he was raised in a Christian home, and uh, he said, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore, but I still really like a lot about Jesus, especially all his teachings on tolerance and understanding. And a friend of mine sent me that, that article, and he said, I really love Jesus' teaching on tolerance and understanding, too. All zero of them. Uh, okay, so before you lose it, I'm really struggling with this microphone. 
Jesus was obviously the kindest, most patient, most welcoming, most inclusive person that has ever lived. That is true. He was a wonderful, he, he, he welcomed all kinds of people. He did not send people away. But Jesus was maybe the most radically exclusive and demanding person that has ever lived. Uh, Jesus isn't the author of Can't We All Just Get Along? Uh, if you want that Jesus, if your Jesus is the tolerant, understanding guy that's a real inspiration to me, that's fine, but that's not Jesus. You can't take him on your own terms. But thankfully, and that's just one example, so don't, you know, I'll just leave it there. And go out of here feeling bad if you think Jesus is tolerant. Uh, that's okay. It's okay. Please come back. Um, <laughs> please. Uh, but thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave it up to us. Jesus has an answer when we say, who are you? He has an answer to that question. And this passage is actually full of wonderful insights about Jesus' identity. Um, and I, I, what I want to pitch to you tonight is that Jesus' identity is more fundamental to our own identity than we think. Who we, this might sound offensive, and that's okay. Who you say Jesus is determines who you are. And if you give me some time, I think maybe we can look at that together. Uh, So this passage tells us there's three things about Jesus, right? That Jesus is the Son of Man, that Jesus is the Christ, and that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of Man, the Christ, and the Son of God. So let's kind of unpack each one of those titles together. Uh, Son of Man is a favorite nickname that Jesus uses for himself. And it has a lot of uh, background in the Old Testament about he's the fulfillment of all of this prophecy in the book of Daniel and all this. But what it really highlights for us is that Jesus is a man. Jesus is a person. Jesus is a human being. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, was so much a human being that, you know, basically the Bible comes in. It's like he's born and he's a kid. And then it's like 30 years later and here he's teaching. He gets baptized and he's teaching. And like in between that time, it's not like Jesus was just like standing up on a mountain, you know, like arrayed in sunshine. Like Jesus had a job, you know, Jesus had a family, Jesus had a bed, Jesus ate food. He's a real human being. The people that grew up with Jesus would have been maybe not super surprised because they had never seen him sin. Uh, but they were kind of thinking, this is just a man, right? Like I know this guy. People are like, isn't this Mary's son? Like this, is, this happens in the Bible. Uh, And part of the reason why there was so much confusion about Jesus' identity is because he was a man. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, his humanity threw people off of the sin of like who he actually, you know, the fullest idea of who he was. Because Jesus was performing all sorts of miracles, right? If you've heard of Jesus, you know, you know, you probably know that he healed people. And perform miracles, you know, turned water into wine, you know, fed people with just a little bit of food. Um, but he's performing all of these miracles and he's teaching with this real authority. But at the same time, it's just this normal looking first century 30 year old Jewish guy. Uh, and it really threw people off because he was a regular guy, you know, like he might be teaching and sneeze, you know, like he was a person, uh, you know. That's okay. He had friends. Uh, Mark, in, in Mark's gospel, that Jesus cast out a demon. 
And the people say, and the people are, are all amazed, and they say this, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his, fr- his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus was doing wonderful things, mind-blowing things, things that people couldn't understand, but he was a person. It was like he was doing all this impressive stuff, but at the same time, like he went to sleep at night. It was very confusing uh, for people. And so when Jesus asked his, his disciples, who were his 12 sort of closest companions, and he asked them in the, in the passage, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Like, who, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people say John the Baptist, and some people say Elijah, and other people say, you know, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, people thought that Jesus was this kind of guy from the past that maybe had been resurrected or, you know, had come back from the dead, because that's easy to believe, right? Um, But these guys were all important men, but they were all men. They thought that Jesus was just another important man in a line of important People. Surely he was special, he was impressive, he was interesting, maybe the most interesting man in the world. Uh, he was interesting, but he was still just a man. He still put his, le- his pants on one leg at a time, right? Uh, his humanity, Jesus is true, he was really, and still is, 100% a person. But it threw people off. It confused them. Uh, and for me, you know, when thinking about you know, when you're teaching from the Bible, you're kind of always thinking, so what, right? Like, okay, we talk and say a bunch of true things, but like, what does it matter for you? Uh, for me, the incarnation or the, the fact that Jesus became a human being is one of the most comforting doctrines in the Bible. It's one of the most comforting things that I can think about, that Jesus became a human, human being. And you know why? Because I'm a human being. Uh, all of us are so desperate... <laughs> For someone to relate to us. For someone to come in and know what we're going through, right? Isn't the worst when someone comes in like, your grandma died, and you're just crushed. And they come in and they're like, I'm really sorry, I know exactly what you're going through. And you're like, oh yeah, did your grandma die? And they're like, no. I'm like, well then you don't know what I'm going through, do you? So why don't you back up off me and get out of my room? Uh, we're all desperate for someone to come to us on our level and understand what we're going through. And God did that. He became a person so that he could, as, as, as the writer to the Hebrew says, sympathize with us. So that he could know all of what it meant to be a human being. So Jesus is, is a man. He's the son of man. But he isn't merely a man. There's more to Jesus than they thought. Jesus is a man. Jesus is the Christ. Um, if you're reading Matthew, maybe some of you are in English and you're talking about literary turning points, right? Uh, the point in Matthew where everything changes is this passage. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, everything is kind of working up to this, like the roller coaster is like tick, 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 tick to the top. And the very top, that part you're like, that's this passage. So I don't know if you thought that when you were reading it, but now you know. Uh, And from this point, everything goes straight down. Everything's new. It's It's kind of like, you know, when Dorothy steps out of her house in the Wizard of Oz, and it had all been black and white, and now it's this awesome technicolor, which looks better than real color. Uh, that's this point for Jesus. Jesus begins to really show people who he really is at this point, and from this point on. And in case you don't know, 
because I'm not going to take anything for granted. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, just good. People are like, Jesus H. Christ. I'm like, I don't even know what the H is all about, but that's not his last name. Um, it's, not, it's not, you know, like, um, anyway, anyway. It's not like Mr. Christ, you know, like, oh, look at you. Uh, the name, the, the word Christ is another title. It's a title for Jesus, and it comes from a way, way, way old word. Uh, the Bible, the New Testament is written in Greek, so there's this word Christos, and it's, it's a translation for a Hebrew word, Mashiach, I think. Yeah, I like that. Um, and basically, it means Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah, and the Messiah was this figure that everyone in Israel was waiting for. Uh, if you've ever waited in someone's house for a surprise party crouched behind their couch, you know, in the dark, you know something of the anticipation of waiting for someone to arrive, right? You kind of feel that feeling in your stomach. This is like a multi-millennia version of that, that the people of Israel had been waiting for this person to come, uh, this person that was going to, that was going to come and make everything right. Um, those videos of soldiers coming home from like Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, they, they undo me, as they should you. Um, it's like, I'm like a puddle, I'm watching these things, you know. And then the kids, because it's always the kids, right? Because the wife, you're like, you're feeling it, but then the kids, and you're like, oh my gosh. And they're like waiting, they're holding the sign that says, Daddy, right? Uh, and they're waiting for their dad to come home. This person that's going to come home, right, and make everything right again. Things aren't right when daddy's not there. When daddy comes back and he's safe, then everything can be okay, right? And that's what you're just like, oh my gosh. Uh, That is the Messiah. He's the one everyone's desperately waiting to come back. And remember last week, we looked at Genesis 3, and this person that was going to come, right, and make everything that was sad untrue. That's the Messiah. That's the Christ. That's who Jesus is. He's the one that everyone has been waiting for. So it's a really big statement that Peter says, oh, I know who you are. You're the one that everyone I've ever known has been talking about for my whole life. And they said was going to come and everything was going to be amazing. That's the Christ. And it's surprising because no one else seemed to be thinking that Jesus was the Messiah. There wasn't a widespread belief that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. Notice all the answers, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah. In addition to all being men, you know, people, they, uh, these were all people that were supposed to come before the Messiah. These are people that it was prophesied that these people are going to come, they're going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So they thought that Jesus was another person that was coming to kind of lay the table, right? He was like the guy that gets off the plane before the soldier gets off and says, hey, everybody, they're here, Right? It's like Jesus was an appetizer, you know. Like he tastes good, but he's not the meal. I don't want to get full on him, right? Um, or the, the worst part of a show, I watched two shows, Walking Dead and Downton Abbey. And uh, so now I have all the girls and all the guys in the room. And, uh, but both of those shows share something in common, which I hate, which is as soon as it gets over, it's like next week on The Walking Dead. That is my least favorite part. I'm like, turn it off, turn it off, because it ruins the next week. Uh, Jesus to them was like the preview, right? He isn't the main attraction. He's just going to get everybody ready for the main attraction. And that might be you tonight. Uh, You might think that Jesus is special, that Jesus is impressive, 
that Jesus is inspirational. That sometimes I read about Jesus in order to get inspired to go out and serve people. You know, it's like Jesus is a, is a bridesmaid, you know. Like, he's really pretty and impressive, and I'm, I'm like, I'm moved by him, but he's not the thing. Uh, he's not what my life uh, uh, rotates around. Uh, that Jesus might be really important, a really important part of your spiritual life. You know, you want to be a well-rounded individual, right? Appalachian State wants all of us to be well-rounded people, and that's great. And so to round out that spiritual sphere in my life, that's where I go to Jesus. But it doesn't really have a lot of impact on the rest of my life. Um, but Jesus is showing us that he's way more than that. He's the one that you've been waiting for. He's the one that we've all been waiting for. Uh, he's the one that we are longing to put everything right. And if you don't think that you have ever felt like, oh, I'm not waiting for this person to come, today of all days out of the year, can we just say that when, we, when, then when we're standing here on September 11th, that like we really do long for things to be put right in the world. Uh, we long to see justice done, not like at a, just a local level, but just for everything that's wrong to just be taken away and made beautiful and right, because we have this feeling that it's supposed to be that way, right? But something's in the way. Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for to come do that. When you feel that longing... You're longing for Jesus, and he's come, and it's a big deal. But the most mind-blowing thing that Peter said isn't that Jesus, well, Peter didn't say that Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus said that. Uh, It's not that Jesus was the Christ. It's what he says next. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not only is Jesus... A person, not only is he the Christ, he's the son of the living God. And some of us, you know, might hear that, and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know God had kids. You know, well, he's a son, God has sons. I wonder how many more children God has. Uh, you know, like, God is God, and then, like, Jesus is God Jr. Um, and it's okay, like, it's okay to think that. It's okay to be like, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, mainly because we don't live in first century Palestine, and we didn't grow up our whole life as very, you know, orthodox Jewish people. Because for, Jew, for the Jewish people of this time, it was a non-starter for there to be anything but one God. Uh, there was only one God. And if you had grown up in this time, uh, you know, some of you have memory verses, you know, from like when you were a kid. Uh, everybody in Israel had the same memory verse. Every man, woman, and child, when they got up in the morning, they said the same verse. And when they went to bed at night, the last thing they said was the same verse. And it's from the book of Deuteronomy, and it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So when Peter is saying that Jesus is the Son of God, he doesn't mean that he's part of a pantheon of gods. He means that he's the God. He's God. He's that, that, that mono... Uh, he's God. Let's just not use long words. Uh, <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is God the Son. Uh, listen to how Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, there used to be hymns. So we sing hymns at RUF because they're great, and they're full of great content, and you will get used to them. And, uh, but one of the earliest hymns in the, in the Christian church, Paul quotes in Colossians. And it goes like this. He, this is about Jesus, 
is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Did you hear? In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. He's the God. So here's what that means. Jesus is a man. Jesus is God. He's not 50% God, 50% man. He's 100% God, 100% man. Do the math. Uh, So that means that when Jesus was in the womb, and he was the size of a kidney, that he was simultaneously holding the entire universe together. So deal with that. Uh, It means that when Jesus was a child... And he was playing, that he was making planets orbit at the same time. Wow. Jesus is everything. He's 100% man and 100% God. So when Jesus says something like, for example, in John 14, maybe you've heard this. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's, you know, there's t-shirts with that on it, so you've probably seen it. Uh, what Jesus isn't saying is, Please come to me and let me show you the way. Why don't you come to me and I'll teach you the truth? Or come to me and get close to me and I'll show you how to have a wonderful life. Jesus doesn't like that. Jesus says, I am the way. You want to know the way? You know me. You want to know the truth? You know me, a person. You want to have life, and you want to have real life, and you want to be raised up from the dead, you have to live in me. And can you start to see why the question, who is Jesus, really matters? While it's actually really important, it's vitally important. Because how you answer that question doesn't just have ramifications for your personal life, or for your spiritual life, your spiritual sphere, with all your spheres that are going Your spiritual sphere is my Jesus sphere. It has like universal, huge, worldwide implications how you answer that question, who is Jesus? Because Jesus is our God. He created every person in this room. And one of the things that means is that he created you in his image so you don't get to create him in your image. Uh, Jesus isn't whoever you think that he is. And uh, so what does that mean for us? Unbelievers and believers. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, this all sounds stupid. Great. Uh, I'm glad you're here. Um, If you're just investigating, you're welcome here. You're welcome to figure this out at your own pace. Um, But what that means for you is if you're not a believer, uh, it means that this is more than just a religious fancy. It means that that Jesus is more than just an option for your life. Um, If Jesus is who he says that he is, then it takes more than just a shrug of the shoulders to put him off. 
It's a question for you, whether you think that he exists or not. And he'll keep asking it. But if you're a believer, what does this mean? Because you're like, oh, I believe in Jesus, so we're good. This is a reminder that answering the question of who Jesus is is more than just a Wednesday night or Sunday morning proposition. Um, Jesus is your Lord Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday before the game, Saturday after the game, Saturday way after the game, (laughs) Sunday way after the game. Uh, If Jesus is the Lord of the universe and he's the one, if he's the one that's come to fix everything and to undo all sadness and to make you clean and to save you and to bring you out and make you beautiful and perfect and whole, do you think that there is some power in that proposition to say, like, you know what? My friends think it's not a big deal to get just totally plastered, but, like, I'm good with just two. Like, is there some power in there for that to say, like, this person loves me and he's the creator of everything and he will only do what's for my good and he just dotes on me. So, like, I don't have to share that thing that I just found out about her or I don't have to take my pants totally off. Is there some power in there? And that's more than just a, remember that Jesus is here, so don't do wrong things because if you are, he's going to know and he's going to shake his head at you. But if Jesus is who he says he is and he has done for you what he says he has done for you and if he's for you, is there power in there you know, to just not numb yourself with five hours of Facebook in a row? Um, you know, they would think, Jesus told me that, that these things are probably harmful for me and like, I think I can trust him. Uh, and could you let your imagination just for a minute just flicker with the thought that that thing that you've been feeling, that longing you've been feeling, that it may be here in Jesus. Flesh and blood can't reveal it, but he can. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that uh, we can trust you because you... uh, all things are for you and to you and you've created all things and you know us you know us in ways that no one else does Lord would you grant us by your grace uh, the power to believe and to trust Jesus in all that we do we pray in his name Amen